If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we get to start out our new sermon series this morning titled Rejoicing in What Matters. Uh, a little bit about this letter that we're going to be diving into. We're going to see in the weeks ahead that Paul loves this church dearly. And amidst persecution and anxiety and disunity and even false teaching, uh, Paul encourages the church at Philippi to choose to be devoted to and to rejoice in what matters, or as he says it, what is excellent, which ultimately is Christ and the progress of the gospel both in them and through them for his glory. That's where, Lord willing, we're headed in the weeks ahead. And that's all the background we're going to cover this morning because we really want to let the text of Scripture just unpack all of this for us week to week and in the coming months. So we're going to dig in to Philippians, paragraph by paragraph, over the next 16 weeks. And like uh, Pastor Eric said, we're going to have small groups dig into this together also. So if you're not in a small group, please jump into a small group. Go to the open house next Sunday night and be part of a small group so that you can be growing together in God's word with other believers. Uh, another thing I'd like to challenge us to do is maybe this week you read through this book. Now, don't, don't be too scared. It's like four chapters long. So it takes about 20 minutes to read through from start to finish. And as you go through it, find a paragraph in there that you just really resonate with or that jumps out to you. And let's memorize that over the next 16 weeks. How cool would it be if in 16 weeks as a faith family, the whole book of Philippians was memorized at some point in here? That would be awesome storing up God's word in our hearts for the day when he will bring it to mind and he will use it in our lives. So consider that. It doesn't have to be a long one. Pick a, pick a two-verse paragraph if you need to. But there's some that are like eight verses and just write that down on a note card. Keep it with you. Put it on your lock screen, on your, on your phone or by your computer or on your mirror and just read through it and meditate on it maybe in the morning and in the evening before you, before you go to bed. And let's Memorize God's word together, okay? All right, here we go. Today, rejoicing in our story. Rejoicing in our story. Philippians chapter one. We're gonna look at the first two verses here. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse one, let's pick through this. Paul and Timothy, this letter is from them. Paul writes it, but Timothy is with Paul. And he was with him when he, when he planted this church also about 10 years prior to when this was penned. And now Timothy is Paul's companion. He's his co-laborer, and we'll find that they both love and have a deep relationship with this church. Paul and Timothy, servants. 
doulos, defined in this way. It's the state of being completely controlled by someone who they are servants of Christ Jesus. Right at the beginning of this letter, Paul wants this church to know that he and Timothy, their, their whole lives are submitted to and controlled by Jesus Christ. And we're going to see why that's so important as we go through here. But he starts in that way, which is significant. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Who is this written to? To all the saints in Christ Jesus. We're going to come back to that phrase. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Who are the overseers and the deacons? These are the, the two offices of the church. It's interesting that they're both plural here. So there are a plurality of overseers and a plurality of deacons in this local church. Overseers, it, this is used interchangeably with elders throughout the New Testament. So these are the elders responsible for the, the oversight and the teaching and the shepherding of the flock. Deacons are those responsible for specific areas of ministry particularly related to, to serving and to care within the church. And he starts this letter by saying to all the saints and to the overseers and the deacons. So this isn't just to the leaders of this church and this isn't just to the, the ones that aren't. This is to the whole church. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord or King Jesus Christ. This is a, a blessing used by Paul here, and he does this in a lot of his letters uh, to try and capture that it's a blessing. Some English translations translate it this way, may God give you grace and peace, or may you receive grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And because, because this is in the greeting of this letter, one of the ways that Paul hopes that they will receive grace and peace is by God's Spirit through the contents of this letter. God's Word through the Apostle Paul. And so I, I pray the same thing for us this morning. May we receive grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ as we study his word together in the weeks ahead. All right. Back to this phrase, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. As I was reading that, um, two questions came to mind. First question was this, uh, what are saints? What are saints? And two, who are these saints? Okay, so first question, what are saints? This is, in the Greek from the root hagias, it means holy, all right? But it's, it's plural here, so it's the idea of holy ones or holy people. What does it mean to be holy? To be holy is to be set apart, to be consecrated. To what? Well, it says here, to all the saints, the holy ones, in Christ Jesus, in Him. Okay, so see, saints are believers who belong to and who have been united with 
Jesus Christ. All right, this, this phrase represents our position before God and our identity in Christ. Saints are not some special class of believers. They are all those who have been justified, who have been made right with God because of Jesus, who have been purchased by his blood. It's all those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and been adopted into his family and who are now set apart to God. Saints. So who are these saints? The ones who are at Philippi. Who are they? How'd they become saints? What's their story? Well, let's look at it. Turn left into your Bible, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We're going to look starting down in verse 6, and we're going to walk through this chapter, and we're going to see the foundation of this church at Philippi in order to help us understand more of who they were. Acts 16, verse 6, says this, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, we here is Paul, Silas, Timothy, and probably Luke, who's actually writing this. And immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Verse 11, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there, here we are, to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together there. It's this Bible study, this prayer meeting down by the river. Verse 14, and one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. This would have indicated she had some level of success and probably wealth for the time. She's a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. This simply means that she was seeking God and probably uh, kept to the Jewish religious practices, but did not yet know Jesus as Savior. Look at what the Lord did there in the middle of verse 14. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. A few things about Lydia before we keep moving. One, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. It wasn't Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke's great preaching. It was the Spirit's work. 
the Spirit's initiative in her life. And then what she do? She responds. She listens to them and she trusts. And then what? Verse 15, she acts in obedience and she's immediately baptized as an outward demonstration of her faith. And then she connects her household to the gospel. And it doesn't tell us how, if she brought them to her house or if she went back and shared the gospel, but we know the gospel came to her household and they believed and they were baptized. And then immediately what's she doing? She's showing hospitality. I love it. It says, she prevailed upon us. In other words, she strongly urged us that we should come to her place. That's how this church in Philippi kicks off. Let's keep going. Verse 16. And as they were going to the place of, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Here's a a girl who is oppressed not only by people, but also by demonic oppression. Verse 17, and she followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That is true. Verse 18, and this she kept doing for many days. I like this. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, <laughs> <laughs> Why was he annoyed? Well, he's probably annoyed because he doesn't need publicity from demons. They're not on the same team, no matter what truths they might speak. And he turned and he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are, are Jews and they are disturbing our city. And they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Their only crime here is the fact that they are Jews and they're helping people in Jesus' name. Verse 22, and the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and he fastened their feet in stocks. Verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Ha. Brutally beaten, imprisoned unjustly. And the first thing they think it's appropriate to do is to worship. Oh. Listen, joy in the midst of suffering is a powerful testimony. And their joy here, it's not some cheap, superficial joy. This is a deep joy that runs deeper than the wounds that have been inflicted on them. It runs deeper than the circumstances that they find themselves in. And you might step back and go, how? 
How can you have that type of joy? How can they sit here bleeding and broken and imprisoned and worship? Here's how. They believe the gospel that they're preaching. They believe that there is a hope, that there is something better than their current circumstances. They believe there is someone better than their circumstances. Verse 26, and suddenly there was a, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Why'd they stay? Like, why didn't they just leave? Here's why. Verse 29. And the jailer called for lights and he rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he said this, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved from the just judgment of God? If you're here today and you are asking that question, our answer for you today is the same as their answer to the Philippian jailer was. Verse 31, he says this, And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus. Believe. And you will be saved. You and your household. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. I love this, 33. It's my favorite verse in this whole passage. Like when Jesus gets a hold of your life, he changes you. You are not the same when Jesus enters your life. And this Philippian jailer is immediately changed in some significant ways. Look at this, verse 33, and he, the jailer, he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. Huh. And here's the thing. He washed wounds that honestly, I think he may have had a hand in inflicting upon them. That's a life transformed. And he washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. And he brought them into his house and he set food before them. And this part of this verse, this is what I think Paul had in mind when he wrote Philippians. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This jailer and the Philippians and his household are rejoicing in their story. All right, let's recap what's just happened here. Okay, so you got Lydia, wealthy, successful businesswoman, seeking God, looking for answers with, with other women. And then what happens? God opens her heart. Now what? She's a saint. And then what? Her whole household believes. Saints, a demon-tormented slave girl freed from her bondage by Jesus Christ. It doesn't tell us here that she became a believer explicitly, but from the context, it seems as if she did. 
And the overall pattern of the New Testament indicates that when people were freed by Jesus from demon oppression, they became followers of Jesus. Demon-tormented slave girl, saint, Philippian jailer, captor, possibly tormentor of Paul and Silas, confronted with the gospel through their supernatural joy, even in the midst of suffering. He believes in the Lord Jesus, saint. And then his whole household believes saints. Why is this so important to us this morning? Here's why. Because we're saints too. <laughs> we are saints because God has opened our hearts to pay attention and to believe the good news about him. And he's freed us from slavery to sin. And now... Think about how many of our households, because of how the Lord has changed our lives and now how the gospel has trickled down into our households, how many of our homes are in Christ, are saints, because of the good news permeating through this faith family. Let's start 2023 together rejoicing in our story. Rejoicing in who we are in Jesus Christ, saints, and rejoicing in how he is going to continue to work in our story. What are, what are some descriptions that you are tempted to believe define your identity? What are some labels that you are, that you're tempted to believe as your identity. Um, this past week, uh, Amy was on Facebook and one of those uh, suggested ads popped up. And here's what it said. It said, this chic sweatshirt looks good on any body type and all ages. It's tailored for mature women. Let's just say she wasn't super happy about the kinds of labels that were being attached to her by the algorithm that day. And, and she was hearing some accents over a couple particular words, and she was hearing it being read in a certain tone of voice. And at one point, I had to remind her that I did not write that. I do not agree with Facebook. Let me hear that. You need to take that up with them. All right. She did not like some of these things that were being said and she was thinking about. And, um, around that same time last week, I was reading a book and one of the exercises that the book walked me through, it said, um, think of 10 words that describe you and write them down. So I wrote down, 10 words, and I looked back over those, and I realized that one of those, only one of those 10 words, related to the fact that I was a saint in Christ Jesus. What are some words you would use? Maybe you'd say, I'm worthless. I'm ugly. I'm successful, I'm an addict, I'm a failure, I'm unemployed, I'm 
independent, I'm married, I'm single, I'm anxious, I'm terrible, I'm hopeless, I'm just a criminal, I'm stupid, I'm sick. Uh-uh. No. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are saved, you are treasured, you are forgiven, you are justified, you are a new creation, you are adopted, you are a servant of Jesus Christ, you're a child of God, you are loved, you are free, you are a saint in Christ Jesus. This is your position. This is your identity. This is our eternal label. What if, what if the first 10 words that we use to describe ourselves were related to being a saint? How would or how could that help us view our lives and our circumstances rightly? Rejoice in your story, but not only in our individual stories. We rejoice in our collective stories. Here in Philippians 1, it doesn't say saint here at the beginning. It says saints in Christ Jesus. Look back at Acts 16. Let's finish out this chapter. Look at verse 35 there. It says this, but when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. And they've thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. And the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and they apologized to them and they took them out and they asked them to leave the city. I like this, leave the city, verse 40. So they went out of the prison and they visited Lydia. <laughs> and when they had seen the brothers and the sisters, they encouraged them and they departed. The local church in Philippi begins right here. The original core team of this church plant consists of probably dozens of people from these three households. And now they're gathering together at Lydia's place. And this is awesome because God brought them together as saints. Like very different people from very different backgrounds with very different preferences with different strengths and gifts and with different weaknesses and sin struggles. And they were brought together for what purpose? To worship and serve the Lord together. And that is awesome. And here's why. God has you here for a reason. It is not an accident that you are part of this local body of saints. Rejoice in that. We, my family attended our first worship service at Radiant back in 2010. Uh, we'd been 
church hopping for a couple years prior to that. And honestly, when we walked in here the first Sunday, we were frustrated and we were tired for some good reasons and honestly for some not good reasons. As I reflected back on it even this week, I was just struck anew by how arrogant and critical we were as we looked for a church. But even in our imperfect search for a local church family, God graciously, sovereignly, patiently was working. He was humbling us, and he brought us to a church meeting in a movie theater at the time, and we saw God at work amongst you. And he helped us by his grace to see his bride and all of her imperfections through his eyes, holy, washed in his redeeming blood. Not perfect yet, but being perfected, being conformed to his image little by little together. And we knew we were home. And we got to jump in and be part. In fact, one of the first things we did was we jumped into small groups. We were in the Tynan small group for the first couple of years here. And God grew us. And we are so grateful. Look at what God has done. Rejoice in our story. So what now? What's a an appropriate response to God's word here in first two verses of Philippians and, and Acts 16. I think an appropriate response is the same one that Paul and Silas had. Worship. Worship. Rejoice in your individual story. Rejoice in what God has done. Rejoice in our story as a, as a faith family. And don't just stop there. Share it. Share it maybe today over lunch. You're out with friends or family. Take a few minutes and just celebrate what God has done in your life and what God has done in our lives together. Um, our small group doesn't know this yet. They're finding out right now. But this, this semester, we're going to have someone each week share their story of how God brought them to this faith family and how he's been growing them ever since. And we're going to worship together over that. Here in about 10 weeks, we've got our church's 15-year anniversary celebration, and we'll have an opportunity to celebrate together what God has done in this place and amongst us and through us for his glory. Paul's letter to the Philippians is a call to them to keep going, to stay focused on, and to rejoice in what matters. And that first thing this week is our story. And we, we can rejoice in our story. Why? Because ultimately, it's his story. It's the story of who he is and what he has done in our lives for his glory. And it's an amazing story. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, 
thank you. I just, as I look out over this room and see different people and different families and even reflect on some of your story, Lord, in their lives, like I am just so grateful. You've been so good to us. And we are so thankful that you reached into our lives. You softened our hard hearts. You opened our blind eyes and you caused us to pay attention and respond to the good news about you and you saved us. Thank you that we are not defined by our sin. But because we have placed our trust in you, Lord, we are defined by you. And that definition is rooted in who Jesus is and what he has accomplished, Lord. And we are holy ones. We are saints because we have been united with Jesus Christ. And we are so grateful. Thank you for bringing us all together. Thank you for how you are at work in our, in our midst. Thank you that we are all so very different and diverse in so many ways, but that it doesn't matter because what unites us together is our, our common position before you, saints. And we worship you together and we follow you and we long for you to be at work in continued ways in 2023 in us as individuals, in us as a church and through us so that we might see how you begin more stories and how you beautifully paint this tapestry of grace not only in our lives but in those who you will still save and welcome into your family Thank you. Would you grow in us over these next 16 weeks a deep joy, a contentment that runs deeper than our pain and our sorrow, a contentment that runs deeper than our circumstances, Lord, because it's rooted in who you are and what you have done. Grow that in us by your spirit, Lord. Grow in us a joy, a joy that is contagious, a joy that testifies to your greatness. You, you are wonderful and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.